I'm very, very excited about opening up human creativity, right? So I think like fundamentally, like one of the most exciting things about software and I've been building software since I was 16 and I'm 35 now for a long time is about you know building tools that users love that allow them to do something they couldn't do before. I think that is just a beautiful thing and that is literally what gets me excited first thing in the morning. Hey, this is Brian and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. What's up, y'all? It's B Dougie here, and I'm really excited about Jamstack.conf returning in person this November. I'll be there at this event, which is going to be the biggest party of the year. So join me by getting your ticket at jamstack.com and get an exclusive 20% off with the code radio. That's 20% off of your Jamstack.com ticket with the promo code radio. That's awesome. See you there. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Patter Coyle from Alphorhythmic. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. Yeah, it's a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, so really, really excited to be here. Thank you very much. I'm really, really excited to talk to the Jamstack community. I think it's an awesome podcast. Yeah, yeah. And then say the name of the, since I flubbed it so, so poorly. Yeah, so we're Alphorhythmic. We're an API first solution for audio development or audio uh, at scale. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I guess, um, Patrick, can you intro yourself and like tell us what you do and sort of how you got there? Okay, so I'm CTO and co-founder of Aphorithmic, and I've been working on developer tools for a long time. So I was working on PyMC3, which is a noted uh, machine learning library in Python, and I did a lot of open source work, and I worked a lot in like the kind of machine learning data science space. But I gradually gravitated more towards like data engineering and DevOps. But now, unfortunately, like many CTOs, I just uh, manage a team day to day. So I don't really get my time to do a lot of coding, which I miss and love. But uh, I do try to keep myself um, involved. And I'll talk some more, like some tools I like to use and stuff. I think it's very important that, that you're aware. I'm very, very excited about opening up human creativity, right? So I think like fundamentally, like one of the most exciting things about software, and I've been building software since I was 16 and I'm 35 now for a long time, is about you know building tools that users love that allow them to do something they couldn't do before. I think that is just a beautiful thing and that is literally what gets me excited first thing in the morning. It got me excited to set up this company. It gets me excited every day and we're like three and a half years in now. We raised a bit of money, we raised a small seed round. We have some wonderful customers. I can talk some more about them later on. And you know, it's, it's a very interesting space. Um, of course, a very um, competitive space as well because you know there's a lot of developer tools. There's a lot of tools out there. It can be quite difficult to get you know developer mind share and stuff like that. So that's, all, all these challenges can be very fun. Excellent. So I would love to talk about the product um, and like the approach that you all are, are doing as well. So can you, can you walk us through what you're working on as well, as far as product goes? Yeah, sure. So like we're, we're API first, um, so we work with any programming language, but fundamentally we're for automating audio production at scale. And we're, we use a lot of AI, so we use synthetic speech generation, we use uh, AI uh, music generation. 
But fundamentally, you know, what we really try to do is like, you know, like uh, you may go and like hire a voice artist, you may go and go to a recording studio. These are quite technical tools. So, you know, a lot of like my co one of my co-founders, Timo, is a musician. So like, you know, there's a lot of technical tools there. Like, I don't know if you know, but the whole like audio ecosystem, like there's classically things called digital audio workstations. And the gap in the market we saw was these things are just too hard to learn to do. And fundamentally, what's very interesting is like, it's not so much competing like at the high end, it's more like the, the low end. So you know, the hobbyist, who, you know, like someone like myself, who has no musical ability whatsoever, ironically for an audio company. Is like you know is about unlocking that kind of latent creativity. So, so let's kind of give a couple of examples. You for the for example in this podcast, you may want to generate an ad, advert or an, um, generate many adverts and put them through to your podcast. You may want in a kind of like synthetic avatar or games application. You may want to add like voiceovers. You may want to add like uh, voiceovers to videos, and those are kind of uh, areas we see a lot of our interests. Uh, and such. Okay, yeah, and I'm familiar with the uh, the digital audio workstations. I, I spent a lot of time as a bedroom musician and okay. record a lot of um, content, I guess, on <laughs> GarageBand and, and yeah. uh, Pro Tools. Yeah. And like, in comparison to what you're working on, a for a for rhythmic. Um, yeah. I use a tool which is uh, called Descript. Um, yeah. And very similar. I don't really have like a strong use case for it. I just happened to it. It was installed um, when I was doing uh, some quick. Video editing, really, yeah. But what I liked about that, and I, I guess this is your similar approach, is that you're—is it like more of you're not a, you're not educated in how audio works, but you know you have to edit like a podcast. Yeah, uh, is that what you're all trying to like solve? Uh, so, I mean, it's an interesting example. So, I think that the script is often you know is great for like if you're a podcast host and you want to edit uh, content. I think your script's an aw- awesome tool. I think where we add more value is like where you want to like scale or dynamically generate audio. And like all of what actually happens is like you might have something like localization. So, you know, so you might want to add like, you know, in a game, you want to add, you know, various parameters. You know, you say something like, Hey, Brian, hey, Patter, hey, you're, you're in the UK, you're in Spain, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And you know, you see examples in like advertising and stuff like this, and you see you know examples in games. But I think what's what's probably more interesting is how that kind of unlocks latent creativity. You know, stuff you just couldn't do before because it was just too expensive to do, right? So you know, so sometimes we'll have a uh, customers who say, "Oh, I wanted to add a voiceover to this video." And you know, over and over again, I just didn't have the time, or you know, because you know, you know, sitting and like sort of manually editing these things is quite is quite cumbersome. So sometimes you know, we see people like who you know want to do like walkthrough videos, you know, like classical SaaS use case. You record a video, but what happens, for example, if your content slightly changes, right? So you know, like either your language changes, your location, or you make slightly subtle changes to the product, you know, you change the name of a, of a feature, right? But your video still works, right? So why, why should you, you, you don't want to like uh, be recording new voices each time. So normally what actually happens is people just sort of like leave the video and, uh, and fundamentally we see like every video asset often needs some sort of audio asset 
to to attach to itself, right? So, you know, like that's kind of like you know, and you know, and the other thing that's very exciting to me is um is like things like localization. So you might have multiple languages, multiple accents. Of course, a very important thing in the United States of America. You might want to have multiple accents, you know, to to get your message across in different parts. Uh, and you know, I've, you know, of course, things like you know, multiple topics and stuff like this. Does that make any sense to you? I can I can I can dive a little bit deeper on that or whatever. But yeah, yeah. So the AI side. Is that so? Am I using your product to basically train the AI to learn my voice so that way when I create my tutorials and screencast, uh, I can interact? You, you, you can. We have, we have a functionality for that. But often you might not want to use that. You might just find a voice. We have like 600 plus voices, 50 plus languages. We're adding more day and day. You might want one that you particularly like because it, it particularly suits your brand or your use case. Unless you're a professional voice actor or actress, you might not have the capability or the ability to really record your voice well. You might want to do it, Got it. and we encourage you to do it, but um, you may want to just use something off the shelf instead. Yeah, yeah. And you, you provided uh, some links before, which like the, the one of the links you provided is like the Digital Humans, uh, yeah. where it sounds like you could chat to Albert Einstein, which is the, um, well, I guess it's Einstein itself, because I'm not sure if his name is actually trademarked, but like to talk to humans or like these, this AI. Um, can you explain a bit about that, um, that product? Yeah. So, I mean, that's from one of our um, partners, Unique. Um, and they wanted to build, and they build digital humans, you know, kind of for the metaverse. And there's a, there's a couple of companies like that out there, you know, and we, we reproduced or we were inspired by Einstein to like, you know, we got a voice actor. We, we did the whole process. We documented it. You know, there's, there's a lot of like a care and stuff um, involved in doing that. And, you know, you know, you want to represent it as well as possible. But, uh, like people, uh, loved it. It's still heavily used. People use it kind of like as an exploratory tool. People learning about science. You know, someone with a physics degree it, it gave me a lot of joy that people were interacting with uh, Einstein. You know, a, a digital Einstein, and you know, you get like this kind of like chatbot experience. And I think like in the future, like you know, when we have like more metaverse-like experiences, I think you'll just see more and more of these things. You know, and some of these things will be entirely synthetic. You know, but some of these things will be like you know based on, on real-life characters, and some of these things will be for educational needs, which I think is a very interesting use case. And some of these things will be for possibly even use cases that I, I would have trouble coming up with right now, right? You know, I think uh, we've seen tech in the last like 10 or 20 years, you know, the rise of things like NFTs, etc. You know, I wouldn't have predicted that, right? So, for example, so I think with something like the metaverse, I'll, I'll probably not try to make any strong prediction about where the where, where things are going to go. Yeah, but I would say, like you, you by investing in the, the the AI part of this um, this technology, it seems like AI is like a it's a big thing right now. Like there's entire yeah. I don't know if you saw recently, maybe you're part of it, but the AI grant, which uh, Nat Friedman, former CEO of um, GitHub, yeah. Is pushing out and asking for folks to apply to this so they can advance the technology in the entire space. Yeah, I mean th that's something I'm personally very interested in, and, and we spend a lot of time as a team thinking about this. Is like, so I think like fundamentally one of the problems. I, I don't mean this to criticize. I worked in AI for a long time. I don't want this to criticize like earlier products, but I think one like a problem a lot of earlier AI products. Um, 
did was they sort of like it was AI was the magic and they never thought about product market fit, right? So yeah. product market fit is is always essential, right? And I think one question, and we're thinking this with the kind of rise of like stable diffusion and like these prompts and these kind of AI generated models, like large language models, like you know, like what kind of products does that open up? And with ours, you know, with the rise of like text to speech, you know, and like kind of WaveNet based models and similar other one model deep learning models, you basically had the capability to build products that you couldn't do before. I mean, my CEO uh, Timo said, like, what do you do whenever AI can make a synth- you know a human level synthetic speech? Right? What applications does that open up? Right? And we spent like two years just doing heavy R and D to really explore, you know, really what we were doing, you know, what we were building. And of course, that can be a little bit frustrating because when you're exploring, you're not. It's not really clear. But like, I remember, I, I find it the whole AI grant thing by Nat Freeman was awesome. Like, he talked a lot about like, where is the intersection? That's a lot of the challenge we have. Like, you know, that, you know. So, where do you do something purely AI generated? Where do you do a template? Where do you use like old fashioned technology because that's a better user experience? How do you um, allow someone to record their voice in an easy to use manner? Like how how do you make that an easy experience? Because a lot of that stuff is is UX, and some of that is is AI. You know, like you know, like filtering, digital signals processing, whatever you want to do. Like where do you like if you're writing content? How do you be inspired by things like large language models or whatever to write good content to get kind of pass a writer's block so you can produce a great audio experience for your customers, right? And there's a lot of things you can do wrong there, right? You know, if you just like throw AI models at it and like not really think from a product point of view, I think you're you're going to run into problems because you're going to like do something that like kind of hits the uncanny valley or doesn't really fit into the workflow that a developer does. Because whenever you're building a developer tool, you know, or developer first tool, you don't live just in their head by yourself. You live in their head with many, many other tools, right? So you have to think about all those sort of things. And I think what's really exciting about this space is we're only getting started at figuring out what all those levers are. And I think that's like kind of why it's such a platform kind of shift that people are very excited about. Of course, a lot of venture capitalists like Nate Friedman are very excited about these things for that reason. And but I think I think there's kind of like no playbook, right? And that's that that, that, that I think is is kind of the the risk and the opportunity there. Is that something that uh, that you're looking to solve with your product? Because like how do you mean? Yeah, so like you mentioned it was selling magic versus actually having product market fit. And I, I appreciate when, like, stable diffusion, like being able to understand, okay, type in here, I'll go to image. That is closer to product market fit than like generating this random in- images on the fly through like generative art. I guess was the um, the previous use case. Yeah. Um, so, like, when it comes to what you're what you're doing, like you're you're providing a path for people to pick a language model or pick a, a digital. Digital human, uh, which is not—it's what Unique was doing, but um, using the similar technology. So, uh, I guess the question is like, are you creating that on ramp for a bunch of folks who are uneducated in the AI side of the audio piece? So, what do you mean by uneducated in AI? Like, are you saying that you like the the product's not for someone who understands AI? The product's just for someone who can code, right? Yes. Yeah, I think we we've, we've solved a lot of this. 
Um, and, and I encourage everyone listening to give it a play. Send me some e- emails if you if you have some issues. You know, you should be able to get up and running and quite quickly. But there are still a lot of I think like UX challenges. Yeah. Like we we've always been a very product company from day one. You know, we were never really thinking about just doing deep tech for the sake of it. We always wanted to solve you know, real world problems. And I think like, you know, that's why we're quite user focused. We spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time, even the CTO talking to users and trying to understand, you know, like how we fit in with their tools, but also how to build better on ramps. So, and, and some of that is, uh, you know, can be using things like large language models or whatever, but some of that can be, you know, just clever templating or, you know, good user experience or even subtle stuff like, you know, what do you name the endpoints of your API? You know, cause that, that actually has a huge effect on your adoption rate, right? If you call your API endpoints something slightly esoteric, you, you hurt the kind of user experience because a developer expects their tools to work in a certain way. So I, we, we think a lot about this and we're, we're working on that. I just want to be humble that I don't think we're 100% there yet, but I'm very interested in this whole explosion of synthetic media, you know, the rise of things like GitHub, uh, Copilot, you know, and all these sort of tools and, and what insights they give us about how this product space is right because i think fundamentally the technology is indistinguishable from magic right so fundamentally ai enables you to do things that you couldn't do we're seeing for example the rise of prompt engineers and stable diffusion space for example we could have the rise of uh, you know algorithmic engineers writing prompts so that you can write beautiful audio or something like this by you you know, understanding and you'll have like marketplaces like that. I, I could see that happening in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And there's a use case that you actually provide in uh, the show notes that I want to actually talk about because I've already like fumbled through saying the name, but also I mispronounced your your name prior. Yeah, yeah. Um, So your name pronounced yeah looks like Peter, but it's pronounced Patter. Yeah. Um, so like, can you talk about how to overcome that sort of thing in AI, like teaching the, like robots on how to pronounce properly? Oh, you're talking about like our voice intelligence features. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so I'm very excited about this. I think it's awesome. It's such a, it was such a nitty gritty feature to build and we kind of got it wrong the first two or three times. Right. So it's like, it's like any iterative approach, but fundamentally, you know, names of cities and names of, uh, of like place names, human names, these are all can be quite esoteric, right? So a lot of like classical text-to-speech models by themselves will often get these things wrong, and that can be very you know upsetting because you know a human doesn't want to feel that they're talking to a robot or whatever, or or they don't even recognize it because there's something slightly wrong. So we we use a bunch of like techniques. We use a bunch of dictionaries. We use a lot of like um, phoneme analysis. We use a lot of natural language processing. We we do also like a certain amount of like human creation. Because I, you know, one thing we have discovered is it's not a purely automated. You know, from quality control is quite important. But um, you know, like it can pronounce my name quite well, and um, you know, and we, we've you know we've implemented these things in many, uh, and it's quite a, it often comes up in kind of like when you're dealing with things like brands. You know, a good example is Renault. Which you know, mo- you know, most uh, ro- ro- most uh, yeah, system, yeah, Renault. Yeah. So you might want to make sure you know that that can be very confusing. So, 
So that's kind of use case we see with that. And we're constantly looking to make that easier, right? We're constantly on a mission to like, uh, in the future, we'll probably have something like automatic tagging of documents that you upload, you know, so like, so people like you, like at least process things well. And the other things that were recently we encountered was, um, the pronunciation of centimeters was quite difficult for some of these for some of these models. So that that was quite you know for if you had got like a kind of news case and we got a bunch of publishers as customers, you know, pronouncing you know like important stuff like that is quite confusing because it can be quite uh, and of course it just hurts the user experience and and of course keeping a good user experience is central to what we do. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the uh, the idea of like the developer experience, the user experience, like making sure that that pathway to being productive is quicker. Because like as you approach new products or new ideas or new tools, uh, there's always that on ramp, and it's something that I, I pride myself in those stuff that I touch and the products that I work on. Like I always think about onboarding. Like if someone found this, like found this podcast or found something else to, that pointed them to this product. Uh, how quickly can they get started? And I'm I'm curious, like the developer angle, yeah, uh, and this use case too as well. So uh, I imagine there's uh, you coming from the Python world. Like, are there a lot of open source and stuff like that that's sort of building this? Um, in terms of our SDKs, we currently only support JavaScript and Python. We have plans to do more. Uh, if you want to send suggestions, I'd be open to that. Um, but we also have developers using other libraries because you know it's it's just an API underneath it. Um, you know you can just use like curl requests and PHP and stuff like this. We have a few developers using that and some Java developers. I think Java will be one of our next SDKs actually to work on. I just haven't got around to hiring a Java developer yet. You know it's on my on my to do list. But we think a lot about documentation and like how to make those things well and how we. Um, um, I, I'm doing a lot of thinking at the moment about uh, like like minimizing that on ramp. You know, like what code sandboxes do people use? Because like a lot of the friction of learning a new tool is just in, installation. Even like a lot of Python installation is quite difficult. You know, you know because people like have a lot of issues. Like oh, I forgot to ins- you know initialize my virtual environment, or I didn't run my Docker container correctly, and all that is just unnecessary friction. So I'm very excited about like tools like Replit, for example, and uh, Gitpod, which I think solve some of these problems. And it's about figuring out which of those. And, uh, and we use README.io a lot on the documentation side, and it solves a lot of these problems. You know, it's getting better and better, but it's still not quite the level that you know, as a developer purist, I would love you know for the adoption of tools out there to be excellent. So. Curious, uh, we mentioned a couple times, but yeah, and, and even prodded towards it. Like, how do folks get started in leveraging the tool? Um, so, if you just go to triple uh, uh, audio, there'll be a thing in the top right to sign up. There's a free trial, and you you get a, a one month uh, free trial, which generally is enough to do about one hour's worth of audio. Um, and then there's like a you know a, a pay monthly subscription. I think our our first subscription is like uh, you know thirty nine dollars per month, and uh, and that's generally how people get started. And have a look at the tutorials, have a play around, um, um, play around with some pronunciation, uh, or build something yourself. And also, I'm very interested in things people build. Right, so um, 
for example, we had we have one customer who's building like a system for building the sounds of pedestrian crossings, right? Now you might think, wow, there's a niche use case, but you know, they they have lots of different sounds and they have lots of different uh, like volumes and they have all these kind of idiosyncrasies and he just wanted to build his own tool because that was easier to do his job. And I just find this like staggeringly fascinating that like, you know, that someone would like would have that as a problem. So I'd be very interested in, you know, just what what people do and uh, and how easy it is, and of course, and and also like like as any de- developer, I'm very interested in like how do you like make that simpler. So at the moment, like it's coming up very soon on our roadmap, we're working on a, a a new design of our API, and a lot of that's based on you know developer feedback, you know small you know problems with you know getting started, you know, small problems with error messages, and I'm a big believer that the error message should try to put you onto the happy path. I think we have that down in parts of it, but there's like anything. There's, there's so much, so such a big space to explore that uh, you know it can be difficult to, to to get all those things. So I'm very open to uh, feedback and curiosity. I think my my email should be in the show notes as well. So or, or my Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely your Twitter. I don't know if we put emails out publicly on the uh, on the website. Ah, okay, well, Twitter's fine. Um, That'd be yeah. perfect for scraping now <laughs> if we did that. Yeah, yeah, true. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, open up myself to a security issue. Yes, no, no worries. We're here. We're here to ensure your security is intact, uh, at least for this podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. So I want to transition us to picks. These are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. Yeah, uh, could be anything: books, music, food, technology picks. Uh, and since you are, you've come prepared with quite a few of them. Did you want to go ahead and get us started? Yeah. So. Uh... I, I well, actually one I didn't put in the show notes, but uh, README I quite like as a documentation platform. README.io, um, I find that quite useful. Yeah, we actually had them on the uh, the podcast, uh, the founder. So yeah, I think I think I did listen to that one actually, and um, I am a fan. But the uh, other one is Warp. We chatted about this before. Warp's is www.warp.dev. It's just fantastic terminal. Uh, one of my developers was like, "This is amazing! Look at this! It's so fast!" And I was like, "It can't be that cool." And I was like, "Okay." And then and now I've been hooked since. I just find it so much easier to use. Uh, Podcast wise, I've really been into. Um, uh, Matt Clifford's thoughts in be- between. Matt Clifford's one of the co-founders, Entrepreneurs First, um, and he talks about all sorts of topics. It's quite general, but a lot of it's about kind of technology. And a book recommendation. I've been thinking a lot as I like build teams. I mean, I've I have like eight or nine developers working in my team at the moment. Like, you, know, how do you build good engineering management uh, systems, right? And a lot of this is a systems issue. There's a great book by Will Larson. It's called An Elegant Puzzle, and it's like full of lots of um, you know uh, you know discussions of like you know, restructuring or like reorgs. Um, what happens whenever your team gets too big? You know, um, how do you interact with product? How do you do some product management? Which, of course, a lot of uh, like engineering managers end up doing. You, know, you sometimes you have to wear the product management hat, which I wear badly, but sometimes I have to wear it. You know, and it has like good frameworks for that, and you know, like doing good one to ones, and also like just thinking about like 
things like, you know, how do you run a migration? How do you ensure that you have a good on-call rota, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just full of lots of stuff. I also like the book is beautiful. It's uh, published by Stripe Press. It's just a beautifully well-bound book. I don't know if it's been mentioned before on the podcast. Oh no, it hasn't actually. And so I'm actually looking at the uh, the Amazon link right now. I've read a couple of Stripe Press books, and they they do a really good job. Um, always walk away with some like knowledge base. Um, yeah. The Nadia Ekbal book, which is working in public. Oh, I haven't read that. It's, it's on my list. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth a read if you're interested in um, sort of approaching open source uh, or even like this improving the the open source ecosystem that you might touch and maintain. No, I'm a big believer in that. You know, it's like giving back to the, the the communities as well, and keeping those things open. We contribute quite a lot to open source, so it's uh, something we we take seriously as a as a team. Excellent. Yeah, so I, I've got two picks. Uh, first pick is this week in startups. Uh, I just recently started listening to this. I think it's um, for folks who are founders and and or aspiring founders. Uh, I think there's a lot of good nuggets and, and wisdom, and I think that what I've got a lot of value from is like their Sunday sessions, which they usually teach something new for founders to teach them about venture capital or things they didn't think about. So recently, I learned about the 83B election. So as a founder in a Delaware C-Corp, um, very useful to know that knowledge. And it literally never came up prior to listening to this podcast. So yeah, worth a listen if you're a founder or aspiring founder. Awesome. And then my other pick is is uh, the camera I'm using. It's the aluminum webcam. It's got a... Um, Basically, I don't know if it's going to activate, but anyway, uh, trying to give a demo and it's not working. So it's always the curse of a live demo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I was trying to demo is the cameraman feature, which is like if you move back or if you if you come closer, it keeps you in frame the entire time. Um, uh, okay. Which is pretty nice, and then it's got this auto blur bokeh sort of situation going, and yeah, it's just like. I've got like a DSLR that's actually mounted over here uh, to the left of my screen, and I love it for doing content and videos. But it's like I have to be sitting down and I have to be looking this way. Uh, but I love about the Illumina Cam is that I could be using the standing desk, I could be sitting down here, I could be sitting. Oh, just zoomed out a little bit, but it's pretty useful. Uh, it's a nice sort of go-to webcam if I don't want to use the heavy rig that I use for content creation. So definitely worth a try. Awesome. Uh, I'll give it a look as well. Thank you for those picks. Yeah, appreciate it. And then thank you for the, the conversation. Uh, folks, check out uh, Patter's work and uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. 